0: Well, you find your Bible? You got your place, the book of James. Let's go to chapter 1 of the book of James, and we'll stand and read the Word of God today. Pastor, thank you for allowing us to join forces with you today right here at the Life Gate Bible Baptist Church. First time your pastor and I have met, other than by email, I look a lot better in email than I do in person. And so we we have met by email, and we're in, we're enjoying our fellowship together. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greedy. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low because of the flower of the grass he shall pass away. The sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it Perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed, verse 12, is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. How many of you have ever had any trouble at all in your life? Would you raise your hand with mine? Okay, the message is for you, because we're going to talk about triumphing over your trouble. If you have never had any trouble, you're either not here or you're living in a coma. That must be the way you live because all of us face trouble and trials every single day. So today, we're going to find out how to be a victor instead of a victim, and uh, we'll see that in just a moment. Thank you very much. You may be seated. We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise, we thank you for the privilege to be at life gate. We pray today that we'll take spiritual steps. We'll be glad we took when we meet you one day face to face and we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus name. Amen. How do you face life's testing times? Those daily pop quizzes and then the ultimate exams. A pop quiz may be you woke up with a cold or a headache. You had a small collision on the way to work. You couldn't get by the world's longest train. Or you've just simply gone through something that's frustrating you. A big exam might be a total collision. Could be being notified that you have a terminal illness. It may be the fact that you lost your job. Everybody faces tough times. The question is, what do you do when those tough times come? In the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus shows us how to be an overcomer and not be overcome. James, interestingly enough, was not saved, though he was the half-brother Jesus, until after the resurrection. Can you imagine growing up with a perfect brother? Now, some of you were told your brother or sister was perfect, but you knew better. But with Jesus, he never did wrong, yet he didn't believe. James didn't believe until after the resurrection. He goes, uh, as soon as he gets saved, he takes off. God uses him as a major leader. He writes to the 12 tribes or those who have been saved by the grace of God from a Jewish background who've been scattered and slandered and some of their friends have been slaughtered because Claudius has a new persecution and it is really a major challenge to them. So what he does is he explains to us how to face life's testing times. Let's pick up our reading down in verse number 2 and notice the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when... You have followed a diverse or multicolored temptations. Now, you're going to find the word temptation used a number of times in James chapter 1. In James 1 through 12, the word temptation carries the idea of a trial. When you get to verse 13, it's exactly what some of you are thinking. It's an enticement to do evil. Here's the bottom line. If you don't respond right to your trials, they will become temptations. So you've got to learn how to overcome and conquer or you will be conquered. Let me tell you the difference. God sends trials to develop us. Satan sends temptations to destroy us. If you understand how to respond to the trials and the tough times that come your way, they won't become temptations. You will be increased and strengthened and you won't be destroyed. But notice, first of all, the reality of trials. My brethren, count it all joy when. It doesn't say if you fall into divers temptations. As sure as you breathe air, trials are definite. Job 14.1. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are sent to try you as though some strange thing happened. If the only time you're happy in life is when everything is going your way, prepare to be miserable most of your life. Because trials are coming. John 16, 33. In the world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You say, well, I'm saved. I'm supposed to be exempt from trials. No, when you get saved, You're not exempt, you're actually exposed to those trials, and they come your way with rapidity. They are definite, but they're also different. Notice the Bible says, when you fall into diverse, or when you get overrun, or get beat up with diverse, or multicolored temptations. Did you know that God has a designer trial for you? Now, all of us alike face trials, but all of our trials are not alike. Have any of you in this building ever had a Achilles tendon surgery? Has anybody ever had that? Okay, then I'm alone in that one, at least in this building. I went through that. You didn't. But you could turn around and tell me about something you faced that I didn't. Has anybody in this building ever had Bell's palsy? Do you even know what that is? Anybody know what Bell's palsy is? Okay. I hope all you do is hear about it. I woke up on a frosty cold February morning. And I was in a hotel room by myself. My wife couldn't go on that trip. And I went to take a shower. And as I passed by the mirror, this side of my face had pulled down. That will scare you. Of course, my face scares me every morning anyway. But that will really scare you. And I realized that something was wrong by the time the doctor did all the diagnosis. I was going through a a trial called Bell's Palsy. Now, I've had two things happen to me that's never happened to you. But you could tell me about things that have come your way that were designer that you had to face. I've never had to face. Uh, Brother Clifford was giving me his testimony that he was diagnosed with MS. And the right right part of his side was semi-paralyzed. And he went through a trial. Now, since that time, God has delivered him and put him back on top. He was telling me about a, um, uh, I think the thing was called Twice Through the Valley, the book was called. And this lady had her husband, as they touched down, coming back from China in the United States, and he was on his way back from the airport. He dropped dead of a heart attack. Well, it wasn't too long later till she uh, had a son and a daughter that were killed In an automobile accident. So in short order, she buried three loved ones. People go through trials. Everybody faces them. So the Bible teaches the reality of trials. They're definite and they're different. But then the Bible teaches the reason for trials. Look at the Bible. It says in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. You'd be certain about this that over the, over every one of the trials that you go through, over the door jam reads, put there for a purpose by God. God planned this out. Now, what is God going to do when we go through tough times? How are we going to respond to them? Well, the first thing we need to understand is trials can make me patient. Now, the word patient in verse number three does not mean necessarily, okay, I'm just kind of putting up with this. It carries the idea of enduring, enduring and going through those kind of things. We're all going to face trials. You're going to have to decide if you're going to learn your lesson the first time or if you want to keep repeating class. Did you ever fail a class in school? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to confess your sin today. Well, they, they make you repeat it. Until you get it right. Now, here's what God does. When He brings a desire to trial, if you don't go through it correctly, God's going to rerun it until you get it right. So, what I want to do is go through the first time and not have to repeat class. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 7 8, the patient in spirit are better than the proud in spirit. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, we glory in tribulation. Why? Tribulation works patience, patience experience. And experience hope. So it doesn't always do that unless you respond right. Trials can make me patient. They can give me endurance. They can give me staying power. And here's what happens, particularly to young Christians. You get saved. you got your life in front of you. You're excited about all that God is going to do. And here you get laid off a job. Sometimes the first response is, what are you doing to me? Here should be the first response. What do you want to do through me? See, God can't do things with you until he does things within you. And so he's developing staying power. He's developing strength in the inner man. So trials can make me patient, but trials can also make me perfect. Look down in verse number four. four. He said, let or allow patience to have her perfect or perfecting work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, the word perfect in this passage of Scripture does not mean sinless. When you get saved, you're not sinless till you get to heaven, but somebody said you ought to sin less since you're going to heaven. But what God is saying is this, I want to allow you to go through these trials so they can give you staying power and so they can give you stretching power. I not only want to strengthen you for the battle, but I want to stretch you. Have you ever used a rubber band? A rubber band basically is worthless in a drawer. They don't talk to you. They don't get out and assist you. But when you need something to stretch and hold something else together, they're quite valuable. The more you're strengthened in the inner man and stretched as a born-again believer, the more valuable you are to God in his service. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go through something, it's always nice to know there's a reason for going through it. So first of all, he shows us the reality of trials. Then he shows us the reason for trials. And now he explains the response to tough times. For those of you that just joined us and just got here, we're in James chapter 1, James chapter 1. And so he we go back and he says in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy." When this happens, when you fall into diverse temptations or multicolored tough times. The word count means to consider, to evaluate. And he says what you're to do is to evaluate the end of it, not just the beginning of it. Don't just see the initial conflict. See the ultimate conquest. Don't just see you're going through this tough time now, but see what God's going to ultimately do When you go through all this, count it all joy. Now, the word all joy means don't mumble under your breath, don't murmur, don't complain because you're going through it anyway, and if you want to repeat class, just complain and God will say, let me give you another one just like the other one since you didn't get through it right. So, you count it. How many of you in this building have ever been on a diet? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Why do we go on diets? Huh? That's exactly right. You don't go on diets because you like diet food. Now, I don't know what kind of diets you have in Ireland, but the ones in America are all bad. Trust me. There's not a good diet over there. Um, I happen to like donuts, pastries. Uh, I have been looking for those that were all protein pastries, but there is no such one. Uh, In in America, we have a thing called Krispy Kreme Donuts. Let me explain what they are. It's called glazed manna. That's what that is. And the definition of a balanced diet is a donut in each hand. That's a balanced diet. Uh, I heard about a guy that went on two diets. He said he could not get enough to eat on ones. (laughs) He went on two. Why do we go on a diet? Because there's the before shot And the after shot. Before, afterwards, what do we want? We want to look like the after shot, not the before shot. So when you're eating salads with no salad dressing, when you're drinking diet drinks or just water, why are you doing that? You're counting it and you're evaluating so you can get to the other side. Job put it this way in chapter 23 and verse 10. You remember he lost his family. He lost his farm and his flocks and he lost his friends and he lost his flesh was being assaulted. He lost all that. But he said, when he hath tried me, when I shall come forth as gold. What was he doing? He was looking at the end of it. Now I'm going to tell you, if all you do is see the beginning of it, you won't get through it. But if you'll see the end of it, what God's doing, God is stretching you. God's strengthening you. And if you look at the end of it, you can get through it. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I travel all over the world. I was in South Africa, and the missionary said to me, Would you like to go to a gold mine? I said, I've always wanted to go to a gold mine. Yes, let's do. And so we went, and we went down the shaft. I don't know how many hundreds of feet below. Had my hard hat on. I got out. And one of the first things the guide said is, gold is all around you. See if you can pick it out. Nobody in our crowd could pick it out. It doesn't look down in the heart of the earth like it looks up here. And what shines is not always gold. He said, no, this is gold. He said, let me explain what we do. We carve out tons of rock. We carry it to the surface. We pound it. It goes into a fine dust. We get out of the dust the gold. The gold is placed into a vat, and they heat it to multiply thousands of degrees. All of the uh, excess is skimmed off. It is then poured into forms, and he went through this whole deal. Then we all went back to the top. We went into a state-of-the-art room. We sat down. They had low lights, beautiful seats, dynamic music, and underneath a felt cloth, I knew exactly what it was. It was gold bricks. And I will never forget, as they pulled that felt cloth back, everybody went, whoa. We were sitting in a room that had really multiplied hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gold. It had to go through all that process in order to be valuable, because in the heart of the earth, it wasn't. That's what Job said. He said, if I just stay earthly and I don't go through this process and God doesn't pound me and he doesn't heed it and he doesn't skim off all the draws, I'm not going to have any value. You know, the more trials you go through and the more trials you allow God to develop in your life, the more valuable you are so you can be an impact player for the cause of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, here's what you do. Consider cheerfully God's will. Don't complain about it. Don't argue about it. Don't shake your fist at God. Don't go saying, how could you do this to me? Consider cheerfully God's will. Somebody wrote, God is too wise to make a mistake and too good to do your own. Nothing can touch you but what first comes through the hands of a holy, loving God. Nothing can get to you if you're a child of God but what first comes through the very careful heart of Almighty God. Consider cheerfully god's will but then he goes on and tells us down in verse number three knowing this the trying of your faith worketh patience now watch his next counsel but let or allow patience to have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing so first of all consider cheerfully god's will second cooperate continually with god's work that's what the word let means in other words god's in business he's working on you don't tell him when to stop He's not going to anyway. Don't tell him what to do. He doesn't take counsel from you. Most of our words to God are really a waste of our time when we're trying to tell him all the things that he already knows. We need to cooperate with him. Now, have you ever gotten in a trial and when you got in it, you wanted out of it real fast? Well, that would be normal. Take your Bible, let me show you how normal it is. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here you're going to meet a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul who had a thorn in the flesh. A lot of people have guessed about what it is. I'll tell you what it was. It was a thorn in the flesh. And uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Pastor, should I be done at 11? Is that the goal here? All right, great. Look at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that were given me, given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now, everybody look right up here. Sometimes we make the Apostle Paul a bionic believer. He, he He's almost like the fourth part of the Trinity, and he wasn't. The Apostle Paul was just as much flesh as you are. He had just as many emotions as you did. And so whatever this was, some people think it was an eye ailment. Some people uh, think it was actually a demon that came as his There's all kinds of things. He said three times, God, please remove it, please remove it, please remove it. And God's answer was, no, I'm not going to remove it. So Paul said, okay. Look at verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I gather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, oh, okay, I accept it. I've asked the same thing three times. You've told me three times no. Therefore, I will not argue with you. I will accept what you're sending my way. Infuse your grace into me. Now, grace is what saves you. Mercy takes you, uh, forgives you so you don't go to hell, but grace gives you heaven. Grace is the desire and power to do everything and anything that God Almighty wants you to do because you can't do it in your own strength. You have to have His strength. As surely as you need grace to be saved, you need grace to be sanctified. You need grace to suffer. As a matter of fact, if you'll study grace, there's saving grace. Sanctifying grace, suffering grace, serving grace, and succumbing grace. You're going to need that when it comes your time to die. And grace is all the way through the Bible. So Paul said, okay, this is going to happen. I've got this situation. I'm going to face this situation. You're not going to remove this situation. So you help me go through. So you cooperate continually with God's work. You allow him to do what he's going to do. Uh, I told you I snapped my Achilles tendon. It's one of the worst injuries you can have in the body. Uh, I was playing ball. don't have time to tell you all the details, but a a guy hit me from behind. It's like somebody took a razor blade and and cut the back of my Achilles tendon. I went straight down on my face. I thought I'd been shot. I actually heard the thing pop. I pushed myself up and was going to turn around and start a fight and went right back down on my face because you can't walk without one. They took me to see a, a leading surgeon who was an athletic surgeon. And he said to me, you have snapped it. It's rolled up in your leg. We have to do surgery in less than three days. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring your, your Achilles tendon down. We're going to tie it off with an, an assistant, Achille, uh, uh, with another part of the tendon. And he says, now you'll have to cooperate with me. And he said, if you will, I'll give you 97% return on your Achilles tendon. He asked me early on, will you cooperate with me? I thought, what other alternative do I have? I cannot do surgery myself. And so, I mean, why why is he asking me? Well, I found out it wasn't the initial. It was what you go through. Uh The last thing I remember before surgery, I'm pretty hyper, and and uh whatever they gave me didn't knock me out. And so I'm laying getting ready to have surgery and talking to the two surgeons and the nurses and cutting jokes and all this other kind of stuff, and... I said, if y'all could do me a favor, I'm an evangelist, travel all over the world. If you could give me just a little boot and put one of those little uh, oval things on there, I'd really appreciate it. And last thing I remember, they were all laughing. That I remember. When I woke up, I found out why they were all laughing. I had a cast not on my ankle. It was all the way up to my hip. I was almost in semi-traction, and it took me almost 40 minutes just to get myself in a place where I could not sweat and be in pain. I no sooner got it in place than the doctor walked in and he said, what'd you move that for? Put it right back. I got up and he said, are you going to cooperate with me? Every time I went to see him, he asked me the same thing. Are you going to cooperate with me? I got to where I would go into the doctor's office and sit down and say, I'm going to cooperate with you. Because he kept asking me. Well, I can get back out and jog today. Because I did what he told me to do. God right now to some of you saying, are you going to cooperate with me? Are you going to shake your fist at me and stop going to church? Are you going to quit reading your Bible? Are you going to stop praying? Are you going to cooperate with me? It's interesting that crisis time in our life, we always need God. But you need God more in a crisis time than you don't. And many people turn on him instead of turn to him in a crisis time. So what does he say? Number one, consider cheerfully God's will. Number two, he says, cooperate continually with God's work. And then he says, down in this verse, we go back to James chapter 1. He tells us in verse 5 these words. He said, if you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. Cooperate continually. And then call confidently for God's wisdom. Somebody said, when life knocks you off your feet, you're in a great position to pray. One of the reasons God sends trials your way is because if everything was going our way, most time we don't pray. You ever notice you pray more in a trial than you do in a triumph? Have you ever noticed that when things are going tough for you, you spend more time talking to God than when things are going always for you? It's just as normal as it can possibly be. So he says, now, you ask, but you ask in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to be as God. You don't say, okay, God, I need to know why I'm going through this, but I know you're not going to answer me. Well, he won't. As your faith, so be it unto you. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call on me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Mark eleven twenty-two says, Have faith in God. Mark 11, 24 says, Therefore, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. So what you're doing is you're saying, all right, I'm going through this tri- this trial. I know it's come through your hands, from your heart, so you can develop me instead of Satan destroying me. I've got that. I'm considering cheerfully the work and the will of God. Psalm 34, and verse 1, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continued. I'm going to do that. All right. I've been in this problem for six months. I'm not going to shake my fist at you. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm going to let you work your plan in my life, and I'm going to cooperate with you. I got that. But God, I am confused. He said, fine, I'm not. So you ask me, and if you'll ask me, and if you'll ask in faith, then I'm going to begin to reveal some things to you that you can't see any other way. My daughter is sitting here. Uh, I'm sure she remembers somewhat of me, my going through the Achilles tendon. Uh, that was back way back 1987. How old were you in 1987? Five years old. So you don't remember a whole lot about that. But it was interesting that during that time, I had time to talk to the Lord because I couldn't do a lot of things. I'm one of those guys who like to do things for you, and I couldn't do a lot of things for myself. I was laid up, so my wife had an opportunity to to do some things for me that I might have tried to do for myself. It allowed me to get closer to the kids. My son is sitting here. He would have been seven at that time. What's God saying? He's saying, hey, I got big plans for you. Are you going to allow me to work my plan through you? Are you going to try to tell me what to do? Have you ever stopped to think how dumb it is to tell God what to do? Can't you just imagine that you send counsel to heaven, and God turns to Michael the archangel and said, I'm glad he thought of that. I would have never thought of that. You say, preacher, then why in the world do we complain and try to counsel God? God has got this whole thing planned out for you. Before there was a you, there was a God. Before you came on the planet, God had a plan for you. The question is, are you going to allow a loving, wise, awesome, powerful God to work his plan through you and for you so that you can be better for the cause of Jesus Christ and touch more people's lives? It's interesting, I just finished this morning on the way here a book by my friend, Kerry Schmidt, entitled Off Script. Off Script. Did you read the book? It's very, very interesting. Uh, Brother Schmidt gave his life to the Lord under our ministry at the Wiles years ago. He is now on staff at the Lancaster Baptist uh, College with Dr. Paul Chapel, our friends out there. And he has gone through a bout with cancer. He had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so he was chronicling going through this. He lost his hair Uh, He had to take the chemotherapy treatments. And he is going through explaining how God drew him to himself and how his walk with God has been so deepened. And I was reading through that book, and I'm thinking to myself, not only, Brother Schmidt, did God help you, but as I read through, he helped me. And as others were reading through, God will help them. I was recommended the book, Last week when I was preaching in Indiana by the pastor's wife, my wife and I were sitting at lunch and Tina, the pastor's wife, said, I just read off script, one of the best books I've ever read. He records in there a guy who'd been in Afghanistan that was going through a terrible time and he heard about Brother Schmidt who'd had cancer and he wrote to him, how do you go through things like that? And Brother Schmidt explained and sent back his book called Done which has to do with salvation that's already done for us by Christ, not what we do. And as a result, that Marine in Afghanistan got saved. You see, what's happening here? God is saying, okay, Carrie Schmidt, I'm going to give you uh, lymphoma cancer. This is not a judgment. This is not a punishment. And by the way, don't think because you go through a tough time, God's punishing you. God punished sin at Calvary. He's developing you and chastening you and making you more like Christ. And he said, now, how are you going to respond? He said, if you'll respond right, I'm going to use you. So people are being saved. Folks are being strengthened. His book is going out nationally and internationally. You say, well, I may never write a book. No, you are a book. And everywhere you go, people are reading you. And you may never have a worldwide influence, but you're going to have a sphere of influence. And if you bellyache and complain and shake your fist at God after trying to witness to somebody, who's going to buy what you're selling? That's what my pastor friend, I buried his wife a year ago, Brother Mullis said, 74 or five years of age, I had his wife's funeral. And I said, Doc, you're going through this good. He said, after all these years of teaching for 50 years, my people, how to face life's trials, if I don't face this right, I'll negate everything I've taught to them. You parents realize if you don't face life's testing times right, you're going to negate everything you've taught your kids. They're not going to buy what you're selling. These are vital moments, and the moments are almost gone. So look down in verse 12, and I must be finished. Notice the Bible says in verse 12, Blessed, which is actually much happiness, total satisfaction. It's in the plural. Let me give it to you from uh, from a Southern American, okay? It means, woo. blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We've seen the reality and the reason. We've seen the response. Notice the rewards for trials, and they are more than one. But first of all, you get an earthly reward. Preacher, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. I was in construction uh, actually, I was working for a guy that was in construction. I was called the gopher. You go for this, and you go for that, and you go for the other. Okay, I was the gopher. And uh, I helped build a kindergarten building, nursery school, actually. And I was the guy who had to mix the mortar and bring it over to them and all these kind of things. And if you've ever done construction, you know what I'm saying. Uh, you didn't. Nobody had to sing lullabies to you to put you to bed at night. I mean, to tell you, I was t- tired. Well... When we were finished and everything was done, we were packing up the tools, and i never forget, I just kind of leaned up against the truck with the rest of the crew, and we took a look at that building. Did you know that building is still standing? That's an amazing thing in itself. It's still standing. But there was a satisfaction that I had helped build that building. After I married this little lady over here, her name is Regina, and after I'd married her, every time we would go back to my hometown, I would drive her by that building. I would say, you see that? Yes. That's the same building you told me you built the last time we were here. One time we're going into town, and and she said, this is not the way to your mother's house. I said, it's the way I'm taking you. I want you to see that building. I just kept going back and going back because there's something inside of us that says it's accomplished. You know, when you grow up spiritually, and you're no longer sucking your thumb like a little baby, but you're actually growing in grace, and you've been strengthened and stretched... There's something on the inside that says, Yes, thank you. But ultimately, there's a reward in heaven. It's an eternal reward. There are five crowns. I don't have time to give you all of them. But he said, Blessed is the man that endures trials, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life. So there is a crown for going through suffering without complaining, belly aching, and giving God a headache. If you indeed go through it his way for his glory, ultimately you will go to the other side. And God will give you an honor that you can't get any other way. Now, you're going through trials. Everybody's going. You're just going to have to decide how you're going. If you want to be a loser in life and a loser on the other side, just shake your fist at God. If you want to be a winner here and a winner on the other side, have faith in God. Consider cheerfully God's will. Cooperate, continually with God's work. Call confidently for God's wisdom. And God said, I'm going to do something for you. Now, I'm going to give you this illustration. I'm done. I do not know. Do they they have race car driving here in Ireland? Remember, I just got here yesterday. Do they race cars over here? I know you drive fast on the highways. I've already seen that. Well, in America, they have stock car racing. And it was kind of started not too far from where I grew up. I don't really like to watch cars go round and round and round. I just soon put a quarter... Uh, or some money in a dryer and watch it go round and round and round. I don't. I like to drive fast, but I don't like to watch that. But I went to a race car place, and they gave me a tour. I had no idea it takes 90 miles an hour just to get up on the sidewall and stay there without falling over. I had no idea how much fuel, fuel you burn. I had no idea how fast they could change tires and all the things you go. Th- I had no idea of any of that. I became very interested. The last place they took us, talladega big race car track they took us to the winner's circle the man who is who's showing us around said i want you to imagine you have been in all that traffic you've made all those miles you made all those laps you sweated all that sweat you've been in the pitch, you've gone through all this you see where this is going i'm sure you've never had any of these kind of races have you and then you come to the winner's circle and you get out 80,000 fans applaud." They give you that gold cup, you get that big check, and they go through the whole deal. While he was describing that, I was over there. Because if you go through life's temptations, trials, for his glory, to honor him, when you get to the other side, and Jesus looks at you and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of... Of thy Lord it will be worth it all at that time can I get an amen Amen. let's stand we'll pray together we thank you Lord today for the word of the living God and the God who's alive I do not know what people are going through but I pray that we'll not just go through them but we'll go to you and we'll consider cheerfully God's will and we'll cooperate continue with God's work And we'll call confidently for God's wisdom so that we'll be a winner and not a loser. Speak to our hearts and our lives. Get us ready for the next session. May we walk in the Spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ.